Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll read there in just a moment. The membership class is today. If you want to join our church, that's how you do it. Or if you'd just like to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. Uh, I teach that class uh, from 4 o'clock, starting at 4 o'clock today till 6, 4 to 6 today. Even if you've not signed up, you're welcome to come. It says in the bulletin that it's in the chapel, but it's next to the chapel in room 154, the next room to my right, Seven Hills Side, if you know that area of the building. We have signs up to help you find it if you want to come. Uh, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to talk this morning about the painful truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, let's read beginning with verse 5. The Bible says, If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose, to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. Well, let's talk about six lessons from pain. Pain can be a powerful teacher for us. Pain can be a powerful teacher for us. It can teach us in ways. Some of you may remember a teacher you had who was especially beneficial to you, and maybe they were hard and uh, they were challenging, but they taught you in ways that you say, they were one of my favorite teachers ever, because pain can be a great teacher. We often say here something like this. We say, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. For whatever reason pain comes, don't waste it. Use it. Learn from it minister out of it. God wants us to learn lessons from the difficulties of life. So whatever pain you're facing for whatever reason, sometimes we face pain just because we live in a fallen world and the brokenness of this world. It means that we're going to face difficulties and challenges. Maybe you have difficult relationships or family things. Maybe you're facing pain because of your own choices. And that's the story here in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in what we call the letter to 1 Corinthians, and he talked to them about some immorality in the church. And there was a man in the church who was living in blatant immorality and kind of acting as though it was no big deal. And uh, Paul talked about how they had to deal with that and bring discipline to this particular man. And through that, pain came to that man. Pain came to his friends. Pain came to the church. But God wants us to learn from pain. And so let's note six lessons from pain. Would you write these six things down? Six lessons from pain, things God teaches us. Don't waste your pain. Learn from it. Let's note these six principles together. If you're online, you can write these down here in person. We've got those notes to take. Number one, love makes us vulnerable to pain. Love makes us vulnerable to pain. Verse 5 says, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. Now, why, why would the pain of this man who was living an immoral life bother the church? Because they cared. Why would it bother Paul? Because he loved. 
I'll just tell you, pain makes us vulnerable. It just makes us vulnerable. It means we can be hurt. I mean, we, listen, if you didn't care, you, you wouldn't care what they thought. If you didn't care, you wouldn't care what happens. If you didn't love, so what? But because we love, we care. When we have a family member who goes wrong, we care about that. When we face, we, we're vulnerable when we face pain. And there's a vulnerability that comes because of that. But love matters nonetheless. It's an important lesson to learn because sometimes we find ourselves guarding our heart. I use this example sometimes in our church because we are both civilian and military here, both civilian and military. I'm a civilian all my life. Some of you are in the military, and we have both well represented in our church. So let's imagine you're a civilian like me, and you're you get involved in a life group and you meet some military type and they just have a breadth of experience you don't have. They've been all over the place. They've done some exciting things. They have stories to tell you. They've experienced different cultures. I mean, it's just, we're so, just tell you military types, we're so interested in your stories. It's just so different than ours. And so we're fascinated by it. And you meet this person and this guy, or this girl, this couple, and you meet them in your life group and you're just, you're drawn to them and you, uh, get to know them. You enjoy their company. They just have some experiences that you're just fascinated by. And then one day, they come to you, and they're kind of excited about this, saying that they're going to move. Now, they knew it was coming, and I guess you did theoretically as well, but we're past theory now, and they're going to, they're going to move. You know, they're, they're going to move to, they're getting transferred to Guam or North Dakota why not, my not, you know, they're going somewhere far away. They're all excited because they knew it was coming. It's another step in their career path. But you're not so excited on the civilian side because that person's leaving and you've cared about them and love has made you vulnerable. And so you say to yourself, if you're not careful, you say to yourself something like this. You say, uh, that's painful. And I don't want to feel that pain anymore. And so I'm not going to let my heart go to the next military guy I meet. You know, I'm not going to get too connected. And I keep saying to you, don't guard your heart because love's worth it. Love's worth it. And I'm telling you, it's not just the military. By the way, the military guys do the same thing because you know it's coming. You know, in many cases, you know you're only here for a certain amount of time. And so you can find yourself guarding your heart. Don't let them get too close. You know, keep a distance. Don't get too close. And there are many people, some of you here are guarding your heart. You had a broken relationship, man, it broke your heart. You cared, you loved, and, and the pain is enough that you find yourself guarding your heart, almost subconsciously just guarding your heart. Don't get too close. Don't let them in too, too near to my heart because you know this principle that love makes us vulnerable to pain. But I'd like you to write down just in kind of a subnote here somewhere, write this phrase, love is worth the pain. Love is worth the pain. It's worth it to love, even though there's pain involved. But don't guard your heart, even though we want to guard our heart because we've had brokenness, we've had pain, we've had hurt, we've had heartbreak. Don't guard your heart. Choose to love because love is worth the pain. There's a second principle I'd like you to note with me this morning. Pain can have a purpose. Let's learn this lesson from pain. Pain can have a purpose. The Bible is telling us this story for a purpose. God is teaching us for a purpose. Verse 6 says this, This punishment 
by the majority is sufficient for that person, verse 6 says. He's saying the punishment that came to this man who was living in immorality had a purpose. It wasn't just, it wasn't just to discipline him, but it had a goal beyond the discipline. And discipline always has a goal. If you are a parent or become a parent one day, you'll understand. Listen, there's a, of course, there's a goal to my discipline. If I'm going to do it right, there's a goal to my discipline. God wants me to teach, to train, to protect, to help. And discipline is a means by which I am teaching them. God in heaven, the Bible says, disciplines those he loves. And he does it for a reason. There's a goal behind it. It's not just to make you feel bad. Though certainly conviction makes us feel bad. God does it for a greater purpose than that. He wants us to repent, to grow, to learn, to change, to correct. Hypocrisy will always matter. This man in the church at Corinth was living an immoral life so that even the Gentiles, the Bible says, the Gentiles said, what is, what's wrong with you people? Even the Gentiles saw it as sinful activity. Even the culture recognized the wrongness of it. Hypocrisy will always matter. Can I just remind you of that? God will always call us to holiness. Now, we're, we're all sinners coming to Christ. And even after coming to Christ, there's always the battle between the old nature and the new nature. All of us have that. But I am so thankful God can forgive us and change us and cleanse us. Having said that, even with this battle going on, there's always this level of conviction. We recognize that God wants us to be holy, and sometimes we're battling still in this world. But this blatant hypocrisy, God will always care about. And so he disciplines us when we do wrong because he loves us. And so if you're feeling disciplined right now, if you're feeling the conviction of God, you may not like it very much. But if God's saying, man, listen, that pornography, man, that's got, I, I'm not going to just let you skate on that one. That anger issue, I'm not going to let you just skate on this. And he convicts us, but it's always for a purpose. And it's always out of his love. And God can use pain for a purpose. Note this kind of application here. God often uses pain, problems, and difficulties to deepen us. God often uses pain, problems, and difficulties to deepen us. Some of you here would say, you grew more in your spiritual life. You grew deeper in your faith in a time of difficulty and problems and pain. Um, Sad to say, many Christians are very shallow in faith, very shallow in faith. Just all surface level, no spiritual depth. But very often, God uses the difficult circumstances in life to drive us to prayer. Maybe you haven't made prayer a priority. You let problems happen deeply enough in your life and that can drive us to a deeper walk with God. Now, listen, pain's not the only way. We have to grow because we love the Lord. Just out of his goodness, we ought to want to grow deeper. But God often uses pain as a mechanism by which we see our need for something we always need and a means of deepening us. And some of you would say, man, in my spiritual life, the times I grew most were not the times when life was easy, but those times of pain and difficulty and problems. And God used those in my life for good, though I didn't like them. Like none of you got up this morning and had a quiet time saying, God, if you don't mind, I'd love to have a little more pain, some more problems and some more difficulties, right? But God will use those in your life to deepen you and strengthen you and grow you in Christ. 
There's a third principle I want you to note, a third lesson from pain. Don't waste your pain. Learn this lesson. Pain finds comfort in forgiveness and love. Pain finds comfort in forgiveness and love. Let's go back to the text and back to verse 7. As a result, the punishment this man faced, the, the forgiveness that came because of that, as a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Now, in this case, this man who was sinning against the Lord repented of his sin, came back to the Lord. And the Bible tells us here, it tells the church we should forgive him and comfort him so that he's not overwhelmed by excessive grief. So the goal is, the desire is forgiveness instead of holding a grudge. And have you ever held a grudge before? Someone said this, they said, maybe, the, maybe you'll relate to this. They said, I don't hold grudges, I just remember facts. Is that you? I just remember the facts. My grandchildren will sometimes uh, keep score of wrongs. And they'll just note all the things the sibling did wrong. And they don't mind tattling. My grandkids don't mind tattling on each other. They just do that openly, blatantly. They'll just tell all the faults because they've kept score. And there's a long, long tally. They did this and this and this. Their attitude was wrong. They, did, they hit me, you know, whatever. They pushed me. They laughed, whatever it was. And they just keep that tally and a running score. And that's not just for grandchildren. Let me tell you, it's not just for children. Many adults are living in unforgiveness and keeping score. Instead of forgiveness, one of my favorite stories about this is a story uh, from our years in uh, Texas. When, I went to, when Vicky and I got married, went to seminary in Texas, we, um, I was a youth pastor in a church. And it's a little small town. And in small town life, those of you who have lived in small towns kind of know that you don't always go by street signs. In a really small town, you tell people how to get directions based on where someone lives. You'll say, you go to so-and-so's house and turn, or to that store and turn, or that guy's house and turn. Well, a guy in our church, an older guy in our church, was explaining to someone else in my company how to get somewhere. And he said to the guy, you know, go to this guy's house and turn right. And then, and then he came to a house. He couldn't remember the guy's name. And so he said to the man he was talking to in my company, he said, you go to the house of that guy. You know the guy, he said, who got the girl pregnant? You know the guy who got the girl pregnant? Well, I don't know who he was talking about at all, but as he continued to talk, I figured out who it was. And there was a man who had gotten a girl pregnant, and he had married her. And they had a child together, and that child was 15 years old and in my youth group. 15 years old. And he was still described in that small town as, you remember the guy who got the girl pregnant? Well, let me ask you, is that how God defines you? By your mistakes and your failures and your past? Aren't you glad God is able and willing to forgive by the blood of Jesus? The blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive you of every sin. So that when you trust Christ as Savior, when you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ and receive him as Savior, the Bible says Christ forgives you. God the Father forgives you because Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. So that the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not defined by our past. We're not, God's not keeping a running score of all the mistakes we've made. We can be forgiven. And the Bible is saying here, forgive, comfort. Don't bring excessive grief to this man. 
when, when we repent, God forgives, and he asks of us that same attitude and spirit of forgiveness. Let's go to verse 8. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Reaffirm your love to him. Verse 8 is telling us that we're to reaffirm our love for those who have done wrong or who have needed forgiveness. You know, after a child messes up, there's no better time to reaffirm your love for that child. After a spouse has, has gone wrong, there's nothing, no better time to reaffirm love. After a friend has wronged you, there's nothing, what a great time to reaffirm your love and to reconnect again. And so I want to ask you to write, would you just write this in your notes, this little sub-point? Choose forgiveness and love. Choose forgiveness and love. Would you say, God, I want to choose to forgive like you forgive. I want to comfort like you comfort. I want to reaffirm my love for others as you've reaffirmed that love to me. And I'm thankful for a God who has chosen to forgive and chosen to love, and he helps us to do that. And there's comfort found in pain through forgiveness and love. And some of you need that desperately in your life. There's a fourth principle. I'd like you to write this down, please. Obedience is greater than pain. Obedience is greater than pain. Verse 9 says this. I wrote for this purpose. Well, here's, here's why I wrote the letter. Here's why, here's why I told you to deal with this sinful activity in the church. Here's why I told you to, you couldn't just ignore it or explain it away or rationalize I wrote for this purpose, to test your character. Your character is not just what you say, it's what you do. I wanted to test your character. To see, verse 9 says, to see if you are obedient in everything. God wants our obedience. So much so that he says it is worth the pain that can come with it. Did you know doing the right thing can sometimes lead to pain? Doing the right thing can lead to pain. Certainly the wrong thing can lead to pain. But God is saying, sometimes if you do the right thing, that's hard and difficult. But I want you to obey me, even though it's hard. You're going to be asked the rest of your life to do hard things. You know, school is not just recess. You knew that, right? Sometimes you have to do some hard things. A job is not just, here's a paycheck. Sometimes you have to do some hard things. And in your faith, God is going to ask you to do some hard things. I'm just telling you right up front. He's going to ask you to do hard things. You are often going to be asked to swim against the current of the culture to follow Jesus. He's going to ask you to climb the mountain and do hard things. And forgiveness can be a hard thing. Obedience can be a hard thing. Following the Lord in these difficult tasks, he said to the church, you do this hard thing, but it's worth it, even though it brings pain. Obedience is greater than pain. Number five, pain's danger is conquered by forgiveness. Pain's danger is conquered by forgiveness. Let's go to verse 10. The Bible says, anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So here's what the Bible is saying. The enemy has a battle plan in your life. Did you know that? He has a battle plan in your life. And part of that is just to divide and conquer. He wants you to have unresolved conflict. He wants you to have unforgiveness. He wants your, your life to have bitterness. And the enemy is super skilled at what he does. He's done it for a long time, and he's got a battle plan. 
but the Bible tells us what it is. Back in the Civil War, there was this guy, this general in the North named George McClellan. And he was a man, smart, charismatic general, but not very effective. One time, at a place called, we call Antietam, the battle is called Antietam today. Robert E. Lee, the general, southern general, was going into the north, into Maryland, and he um, had written battle plans to some of his key generals, and one of his spies was taking the battle plans to a particular general. He had it wrapped around some cigars, and he lost it, and it fell into the hands of McClellan. Uh, they knew because of the handwriting, who had, the, the, his adjutant had written it. I mean, so McClellan had the battle plan of Lee. Lee's army was divided into five parts in enemy territory, and still McClellan was slow and cautious and ended up with sort of a stalemate, maybe a hollow victory. What good is it to know the battle plan if you're not going to do anything about it? Listen, the battle plan of the enemy is to divide and conquer, to bring unforgiveness to your life, unresolved conflict, bitterness, let it grow and fester in your life. That's the battle plan. What are you going to, what do you do about it though? And the Bible tells us that we're to overcome this danger by forgiveness, by forgiveness, by forgiveness. We don't have to live in unforgiveness. Here's the principle I want you to note here. Forgiveness benefits you and others. It benefits you and others. Did you know forgiveness is not just for them? In fact, there's sometimes we have to forgive where it might not affect them at all. Forgiveness is not saying, listen, what you did was fine. No, we call sin, sin. Forgiveness is not saying it doesn't matter. Forgiveness recognizes that obedience always matters and that sin always matters. Christ does not forgive us because, he say, because he's saying, hey, sin's no big deal. He's not saying, I'm forgiving you because what you did was fine. He tells us the truth about sin, but he forgives out of his deep love. And it is in our best interest to learn this lesson of forgiveness because the enemy wants to use it to divide and conquer, to bring unresolved conflict, to bring unforgiveness, and ultimately, to have bitterness in your life. Some of you have watched what bitterness does to a family. And that bitterness just takes root and grows and builds and families have been torn apart by it. Some of you have watched a marriage, your marriage, your parents' marriage, with unresolved conflict and unforgiveness and bitterness and how it's just built and built and you've watched that destruction. You've watched it in the life of a church unforgiveness and bitterness grows and grows and grows, divide and conquer, the enemy follows that plan. But the Lord calls us to forgiveness. And with repentance, the Lord forgives. By his shed blood, we can be forgiven. And Christ wants you to learn this lesson. You don't have to hold on to bitterness. Some of you need to hear this. You don't have to hold on to bitterness. You can choose something better. You can choose something better. Forgiveness benefits you, and forgiveness benefits others. Can I just ask you if you've never trusted Christ to find forgiveness in Christ, to repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you, and receive him as Savior and be saved. And the Bible tells us the enemy, listen, the enemy is skilled at what he does, but he cannot stand against 
the power of the Lord Jesus himself. And we can conquer this enemy's plot and plan by forgiveness that we give. And the only way we can do it is because God has forgiven us. How, can, how in the world could we forgive people who wronged us? Only by the shed blood of Jesus who forgave us. And as we follow Jesus who forgave us, we can forgive others. How can we learn to love people who are not very lovable? As God has loved us, we can learn to love him and out of that to learn to love others. Forgiveness benefits you and others. Number six, pain's sting is overcome through connection. Pain's sting is overcome through connection. Verse 12 says this. Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and Paul was always preaching the gospel of Christ. And that's just what he did. He loved it. From the moment he gave his life to Christ, there was, just, was this burning passion to tell other people about this hope that came in Christ. The forgiveness, the love, the meaning, the purpose that came in Christ. And he said, I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me. That is, he's saying, Man, there were good results. People came to Christ, and he was excited about it. Nothing gave Paul more joy than seeing people come to Christ. Nothing should give us more joy than seeing people saved. We ought to be delighted to see people come to Christ. We ought to love that and long for that and rejoice in that when people give their life to Christ. It matters so deeply. It's more important than all the things of this world. We ought to care deeply about people coming to Christ. But he said in verse 13, Still, I had no rest in spirit. Well, Why? Why would his spirit not find rest when there's all of these good things happening? Because his brother Titus wasn't there. Titus was the one who brought the message to the church at Corinth. And Titus was the one coming back to tell him how they received it. Did the church respond well? Did they listen to this lesson of pain? Were they going to respond in the, in the right way? And when Titus came back and, and, and told how the church had responded and how the man who had sinned against the church and against God had responded, there was a joy in his heart because there's a power in connection. I said that uh, love makes us vulnerable to pain. But listen, pain, uh, love makes it possible to overcome that sting. Here's the lesson I want you to, to know. God made us to connect well with others. God made us to connect well with others. And while love makes us vulnerable to pain, the love of others helps us to overcome that pain. And we, we overcome together. God made us for each other. And God made us to connect. We're vulnerable to pain because of love. But love is powerful and strong and able to overcome and God puts people in our lives, and may I say even more importantly, he puts us in the lives of others for the purpose of learning to love and forgive and care and grow together. Connection matters. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? As we pray, some of you are dealing with some real pain in your life. Some of it is pain beyond your control. You're just the circumstances of life. And there's pain involved. And I wonder if you wouldn't say right now in the quiet of your heart, God, I want to learn the lessons that come from this pain. I, I don't want to waste my pain. Teach me the lessons I need to learn. Some of you are in pain right now because of your own choices. And God is convicting you of what he wants to change in your life. And I want to ask you to learn from that pain. Respond well. Don't waste that pain. God convicts you. He disciplines you because he loves you. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. You need to be saved. 
You need to be born again. God has brought you to this place and this time so that you would hear that you need to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus and receive him as Savior. I don't want to ask you today to give your life to Christ. Pain can be a great teacher, powerful teacher. Would you say, God, I want to learn the lessons you have for me. Use the difficulties of my life to grow me and to deepen me and to strengthen me. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that you teach us even through pain that the difficulties and struggles and pain of life can be great teachers for us. Help us not to waste that pain, but to learn the lessons we need to learn and to minister out of that pain to others and to care for this broken, fallen world. And I want to thank you, Father, that you love us, you forgive us, help us to learn to love like that. Help us to learn to forgive like that. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.